Shopping days left. <laughs> it's not a concern with us, is it? <laughs> and then next Sunday is the uh, Papa Char for the uh, three candidates for going forth so to become. Uh, that's something very good to do. something very inspiring to see uh, people doing that is uh, like going forth is Bapata uh, translated as going forth and it, it implies this going into the unknown out of this image of you know, just don't look back. I remember that biblical story of Lot's wife when Sodom and Gomorrah were burning and she looked back and she turned into a pillar of salt. What's the significance? Pillar of salt. <laughs> but in the holy life you see that that's a symbolic symbol of like this going forth is if you keep looking back at the world and things like that, then you you just can't, uh, you don't get anywhere. It's uh, like Sodom and Gomorrah were symbols of that kind of of life where, you know, comfort, luxury, um, status, all the, the best things, the uh, pleasures of the senses, and all that, and yet, as part of it is kind of destruction, the, 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 the longing for it again, the wanting to, to have that. So going forth also implies going into the unknown, the destination isn't known. It's an act of faith. <clears throat> So that is, uh, this is, uh, these words uh, have, you know, you can give them significance just by contemplating them. Because in the holy life, you're, you're going to what you don't know. And you want, if people want guarantees, if I, if I commit myself to being a monk or a nun, will I get rewarded for that? Or, uh, you know, that's, that's trying to make a deal. If you, you know, you can guarantee you get, if you do so many 
years you'll get so many so much merit or you'll you know, guarantee of, of reaching the nibbana. But it's the the, the uh, holy life depends on on not knowing rather than knowing or having uh, guarantees. Then we get into mystery because uh, we, you know, the religion oftentimes points to what's mysterious, what's a mystery. And a mystery is, is nothing you can get hold of. You can't. It's it's the unknown. And when you look at your life, you know it is a mystery. Even though we can surround ourselves with the securities of the known. Uh, have have everything you know that we feel safe and comfortable with, and makes us feel all right and secure, uh, and put all our attention into that, you know, so that you know what our consciousness is is continu- continually dominated by what we're used to, and that's one way of avoiding it. But I suppose at the end of one's life, you, you, you know, especially if you've never bothered to to contemplate the mystery then uh, it must be quite a shock you know going to death must be a, the, the ultimate mystery and so uh, people many people just are not prepared for that and so they resist they're frightened they they uh, they get terrified because they, they want they want everything they want all the things they have like people Dying oftentimes can want you know, their their husband or wife there, the thing, their, their money, their they get very <laughs> kind of obsessed with having you know holding on to to what they've valued and what they've known, and not prepared to relinquish and just trust and go into the mystery. So Bhavachara can be seen as kind of a death experience. The, the not knowing, not being aware, not being, not being sure, uh, the, the don't know mind, the uncertain, these, these were, these are concepts that, uh, make us feel very, uh, ill at ease. Well, we want, we want, uh, to, you know, we want, uh, to make sure that that everything is going to be all right, so much so much of daily life is just a kind of uh, affirmation of everything's all right, rather than seeing each moment for what it is. Contentment, for example, uh, in the holy life, the, this attitude of contentment is 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 the kind of essence of the holy life, to be content with this moment as it is and the way it is without any kind of conditions, uh, you know, demands made on it. Now that, that's quite a, a demand, that's a demand in itself, isn't it? Contentment. So the, in the Samana life, the contentment with the four requisites, with the, with the, um, 
with the way things are, with the way you are, means that you're not necessarily uh, having, you know, waiting till everything is is uh, what what you look want or like or think you, the the way it should be, but being content in this moment. Just learning to 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 have this this gratitude, this uh, for the the food that we received today, or the shelter for the night. This this kind of thing helps to to uh, develop this sense of contentment. Where when we're not content, then we're always thinking we need something that we don't have yet, and so that that's an endless uh, trap. You know, there's always you can always. Think of something you'd like or something you think you need, and as long as the mind goes out into that, then it uh, you're going to need. There's so many things we think we need anyway that it's endless. There's no contentment in that. So, and the desire, the desire mind is very much based on that. Always, you know, trying to improve things, make things better. Uh, trying to get more or get rid of or <clears throat> kind of control, manipulate the world around oneself uh, to to try to always strive for progress, for improvement, for success. So sometimes a, a holy person is almost like it seems like a fool to uh, to a clever person in the world because it sounds like we're becoming rather foolish and irresponsible and uh, impractical and unreasonable and uh, stupid because. <laughs> Because it doesn't look like it looks like we're uh, we're not you know don't have even common sense. So because the the holy fool is often called in, in religious traditions, isn't it? In every tradition, there's there's a holy fool, which is a character that uh, is contrasted, say, to the the ambitious uh, minds of of the worldly life. Or even in the holy life, you can become, you know, religious communities or religious organizations become ambitious, become a, you know, a, a person of high rank, become a, a you know, a, an authority, a, a scholar, a, a, a teacher, become a, an abbot, become get a get a title, have some, become a, something that. Uh, in worldly terms, it makes you feel like you're really uh, successful in getting somewhere. We can see in any any religion this, uh, the kind of political struggles that go on to, for titles, for rank, for rewards, and all that in uh, under the name of of religion. So in the life of the Samana, then, is, you know, we, uh, I'm sure most of us are not really interested in that. 
when none of when we are in my world I've I've never been too ambitious for worldly things. Anyway, it's never been a kind of foremost interest in my life to to attain something in the world. But it can uh, those those elements can affect one's uh, life within the um, monastic style. So you can see, you know, just the tendencies towards, um, you know, wanting success, wanting to be respected, wanting to be acknowledged, uh, uh, gain approval, have a following, have an entourage, uh, get praise, uh, accumulate wealth, um, have a Rolls Royce, have a <laughs> have all the the best because these things can come to to us, and as people want to shower us with all kinds of of uh, marvelous uh, inventions, material uh, things. So uh, it's the the, the kind of uh, irony of becoming an Armenian is I found. Everything I've ever wanted, I've been given. And when I wanted it, I couldn't get it. <laughs> uh, so I would say, be careful what you want, because you eventually get it anyway, probably when you don't want it anymore. <laughs> so in the, the sum of our life, in this sense of here and now, contentment, very simple practices of, of learning to relax, to trust in the, in the present, to just give yourself totally to this moment. And, and uh, I've found things like uh, contemplating, don't have to become anything, don't have to prove anything, not going anywhere, don't have to do anything, because with tendency, they might condition minds very much uh, programmed for the other. You know, thinking I've got to do something, got to earn my keep, I've got to get something I don't have, uh, got to develop, got to get my samadhi, got to have my insights. And uh, though even in the even in the um, life of the samana. One can still be kind of pushed with the pushiness of one's conditioned mind to always even make meditation into some kind of challenging experience where you've got to get rid of your defilements and and become enlightened. But then the uh, mindfulness has been the, the kind of the the emphasis the Buddha made on practice to to be aware of this to see the the results of this of this uh, ambition or desire to get or get rid of become something to be, even desire to become enlightened is desire Desire to get rid of defilements is desire. And very good desires too. Not that desire necessarily is bad. 
but it's uh, it's still desire and if it's not recognized and understood not known for what it is then it we tend to uh, it tends to uh, we tend to get attached to the, those kind of things and, and then uh, always striving trying to become so in the present moment we're, we're not with the moment because we're always busy trying to do something get something get rid of something so the the challenge of, of the holy life is is learning to 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 relax in the present, to uh, fully be present, to totally present, uh, accepting whatever is present the way it is, whether it's physical pain or or uh, discomfort or uh, bad thoughts or good thoughts or or uh, uh, confusion, mental confusion, emotional uh, confusion, or peacefulness, or tranquility. Uh, the the these uh, even tranquility is not the goal, or peacefulness, but this understanding, this willing to totally accept the way it is in the present. So the vehicle, as you see this bapacha going forth as Siladhar, is a vehicle. Siladhar is only, is only a, a vehicle. It's like getting into a certain kind of coach or boat or something like that. That's uh, uh, aimed at, at uh, you know, just going on the middle way. And uh, so you, you know, uh, you have this vehicle to, to kind of help you, to hold you from just getting lost and being caught up into all the temptations and and attractions and repulsive things and so forth that one has to uh, experience through the body and mind condition. So it's uh, learning to uh, just stay in the vehicle no matter what what all the, the kind of impingements both external or internal are, are going on now one of one of the monks uh, disrobed several years ago just before he disrobed he published an article about don't get off the train <laughs> I think it was a, a talk somewhat like this one <laughs> It was later we just rolled, but but it is uh, this is the, the reflection only mm-hmm. how to how to look at this convention. It's uh, you know how to uh, you can look at a convention in all different kinds of ways too. It's not not that this is the only way, but. This is this is a this is the way that, that I I found of value uh, to to see it as, as like a train or a transport or some kind of vehicle you get you you're getting into so it is limiting once you're in a vehicle you're bound in that into that into the limits of that vehicle uh, and sometimes you you know you don't you see something off to the right it's much more 
uh, tantalizing than, than the vehicle itself. So, uh, you know, there is a, you can feel pulled wanting to get out, get off the train and go off to the right because what's over there looks much better than any, than the vehicle or what's happening. Maybe, the, you know, going along this straight track can be rather boring when you're looking at something that looks up much more exciting. But because uh, you've determined to stay in the vehicle, then you, you more or less uh, uh, hel- helps you to not, not wander off to the right or the left and go, keep going in the straight line. Now, taking that uh, as a kind of um, metaphor, you know, a symbol for the holy life, then applying that to, to the mind itself. As I, I generally t- encourage this uh, use of the sound of silence as a, it's like, it's like a, a straight line, it's like a train track. No, it's, it's, it's not particularly interesting in itself. It's not like anything you can really, uh, you know, certainly not exciting or entertaining. But, it, but if you, if you use it as a, as a kind of reference point to, to return to when your mind wanders off thinking of, oh, isn't that fascinating or, or get kind of caught into all the, the worldly problems around you, the kind of endless political strife or the, or the uh, human rights problems or economic difficulties, social problems, uh, around all the, the important things of a society, they can be, be quite demanding on our attention. And, and we can easily be pulled into, say, all these uh, kind of activities which are, uh, you know, quite good activities in themselves, trying to help the poor and, and, and uplift the society, not to despise or think these things are something to uh, look down on. But there's no end to it if we endlessly try to, to, to solve all, clean up the world uh, by trying to uh, solve every problem, every political problem, every human problem, every social, economic problem, we just, uh, you know, we end up feeling quite kind of stressed and embittered because it doesn't, you know, we, we can manage to maybe improve in, in some things. And efforts, if, if we have the right attitude, then these, these then our then our attention towards the the strife and problems of the world uh, is much more effective than if we're just being distracted by it and caught up in our own desires, our own views, our own perceptions of it. So the the sound of silence acts like a like a like a straight line and uh, like a railroad track, and you keep to that. And then you you can see the the various uh, pleasant, unpleasant, uh, beautiful, ugly, uh, and neutral 
experiences of uh, that will will come to you will be reach you through consciousness. But your observance of them then is is more uh, looking at them in terms of dhamma of the fleetingness of the impermanence of the uh, ephemeral uh, nature of conditioned phenomena. Learning to rest in that point of stillness and silence, to trust in it, because uh, the emotions are, are, are not content with that. Emotionally we want, it's, it's boring for us emotionally. Our emotional habits are usually uh, conditioned uh, through uh, wanting interesting activities or be excited or stimulation of some sort. So, in uh, terms of em- emotion, emotional reactions to the silence is oftentimes quite, it can be quite uh, negative, I think. or it doesn't seem like anything worthwhile, it doesn't, have, it isn't, doesn't seem important, this seems uh, like nothing much at all to pay attention to. But as a reference point, you know, if you don't have any reference, but merely uh, your own ideas and thoughts and interpretations of Buddhism and and uh, your, the, the power of your own habits, then it's easy to just get uh, even more confused and lost. Then on the, the uh, convention itself, like Thilandara Convention, is, is uh, in regards to action and speech. So you're giving up a kind of your 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 rights as a personality to express yourself, to be who you really are, to wear what you really like, to 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 just do what you feel like doing, to follow your impulses, uh, and to um, you know be free as a personality, because the the, uh, the the samanat life is is uh, externally one of conformity, learning to restrain oneself within the limits of the vinaya discipline, the moral uh, uh, moral precepts and training precepts. So these precepts are they're, remember they're precepts. They're they're to help us. They're for reference. They're, they're they refer to them. They're not like orders from above. They're not laws that you that you have to keep, uh, or you'll be punished. Things like this. They're they're guidelines. They're criteria, standards, to that we use to do, to for mindfulness helps us to be aware of, uh, say, our relationships with each other, of our re- relationship to the material world, to the society, to the, to the planet that we live on. Though so the, they're based on harmlessness, non-violence, on honesty, on, on, uh, you know, not, uh, 
on fewness of needs, being content, um, being responsible for what, how we live, uh, how, what, what we do with our bodies, how we act, how we use our bodies as, and speech. So there are guidelines for that. And in a time now when there are not really many guidelines, well, there's, it's, uh, uh, there's so many social problems, at least the, you, you, you hear it so much and read about it so much of the endless uh, social problems that exist in a society that is uh, free, you know, as, as free as you can wish for, I think. The, the other thing in my life, I've been given enormous freedom uh, to do what I want to do, to, to go where I want to go. Uh, there isn't a lot of, uh, there wasn't a lot of pressure on me to just, you know, to, to do, to follow anything in particular. I chose a monastic life. It wasn't, my parents didn't. Yeah, encourage me to come into this life. <laughs> in fact, I think they would have discouraged me. Um, that the the uh, recognizing that that just following my impulse has led me into a lot of trouble. Just impulsive behavior, doing what I felt like, doing what I wanted. Uh, I ended up in a, in a t- state of total mental confusion. That was my experiment with uh, hedonism, was uh, ending up uh, almost uh, suicidal, just hating myself and uh, totally confused. By the endless options and, and just uh, seeking, uh, just following the impulses that, that oftentimes weren't... Uh, very wholesome or skillful. It's the, the the moment, what it what you felt like doing or saying. So then, in in uh, coming into monastic life, it was uh, the problem was still there. But then I had uh, training rules that said you can't do that. You can't say that. And so then, because of that, then I'd. I'd learn to stop myself. You know, I'd begin to, to I'd, have, I'd have ways of, of, uh, of you know, learning to uh, just live a more simple life, more trusting life, uh, in the company of people who were doing the same thing. They were uh, in the same vehicle, really. So I wasn't just left on, you know, alone by myself. But I had. I had the people around me were were very much, uh, and we all, you know, gave up our individuality, shaved our heads, wore the same kind of robes, and and followed the same training rules. So that even though on on the personal level we were all very different characters, uh, personalities, and I was for first few years only with Thai monks. I was the only Western monk was like a kind of uh, the odd odd one in the in the group, you know, stood out. 
didn't fit into the into the visual perception of of uh, what monks look like if you're th- if you're living in Thailand. The zebras, you see, I saw a picture of you know, and they took a Wadbapong, this row of, of Thai monks sitting in a long row. And I was very junior at the time, this long row, and so it goes like this, and then suddenly this. <laughs> this big white thing kind of juts forth. And But in another way it was, didn't it? It was conforming to the same, I mean, using the same convention. So, so it wasn't important whether, you know, how tall I was or what nationality or uh, color skin or that. It's not important. But it, it's the, the, uh, the common, common uh, aspiration that we all share. And found that very supportive to be with with other men who were who had the same aspiration. So that that uh, is very supportive towards uh, the holy life. And then you can become you can become just a, a conforming monk or nun if you want. Just you know, trying to be to get the prey. You know, people would say, oh. Uh, Sumato's really a good monk. I'd like that. You know, it really made me feel good to be considered something really good and to be admired. So, so there's a tremendous effort to conform because the more I conformed and and uh, renounced and practiced, then I'd get that much more praise. So on that level, also, it can. But you, you know, you can just use the convention as a as a, as a just blind conformity. But that's not really going forth, it's not to, to just uh, join a club and, and become a member of, a, of an organization uh, and fit into it, but to use the, the um, convention for awareness. So you begin to see the results of uh, of even your attempts to to conform or to be considered a, a good monk or a good nun or or to the, the, if you know if you're really reflecting you begin to see the suffering of uh, the ego creates through attachment to the convention. So then you don't have to get rid of the convention, but just learn to just see the. Uh, after contemplating the suffering that comes from attachment to it, you let go. I mean, you start relaxing. You don't, you start feeling at ease within the convention. Where at first, I didn't feel at ease in the convention. It was all like climbing uphill, hard work. It was going against everything I was used to. You know, it was, it was uh, having to to um, limit myself, having to live within restrained uh, behavior. And, and at first it just seemed so uh, kind of suffocating. I remember feeling uh, like I'm being suffocated by this life. 
it's suffocating me. And and I used to get averse to it. I remember see, having periods where I just hate it and uh, see everybody around me as a kind of uh, with with very negative critical eyes. Because it, it wasn't, because there was part of me that, that that didn't want to to conform, didn't want to have to to live with these people or or conform to this, uh, give up to this particular uh, way of living. But it, the awareness allows us to see that, and see our own kind of rebelliousness, the conceit, stubbornness, uh, reactivity. Because it is a moral convention, so its purpose is, is to help us toward doing good and refraining from doing evil, to, to, to be able to get some perspective on, uh, on desire. Because uh, desire is it's just, uh, if you don't understand, if you don't recognize desire, then it, we just uh, get completely mesmerized by it, we get lost in it. We're used to desire, but we don't know desire. The desire realm is what we're used to and what we most easily kind of sink into because it is what we're used to. It's our habits are, are informed through that. So uh, it, it's uh, to get perspective on desire means to have to, to start recognizing desire. Contemplating it, not just trying to get, not getting rid of it, and and trying to kill off desire, but with getting to know what is desire, what does it feel like? Desire to become something, desire to get rid of something you don't like, sensual desire, just desire for sense pleasures, for exciting sense experiences. These are all part of our life. Now it's not trying to, to get rid of these. That's the desire to get rid of desire, which is not the way. So in order to, to understand desire, uh, we, we, we contemplate it, we, we reflect on it, get to know it, understand it know what it feels like. That kind of feeling of something I've got to do yet. Uh, or just the, the aversion, wanting to get rid of something I don't like. So, then that desire, we begin to, through, through being aware of desire as desire, then you, you, uh, you can see desire as an object, as a mental object, because you're, you're not desire. If, you, if you're just a, if all you are is a bundle of desires, then one desire can't see another. So you couldn't possibly get out of it or get any perspective on it. So the way that we do have perspective is through awareness of desire. So the second noble truth is this, this uh, reflection, contemplating 
Kamadana, Pavadana, Vipuvadana, desire for sense pleasure, desire for becoming, desire for getting rid of. This awareness of desire is transcending the desire. There is, it uh, allows us, it's the way out of the trap, is to awaken in the present. So in the holding life, you still have all the desires that anyone else has. It doesn't mean that you, uh, because this is a desire realm this realm that we live in, this, these bodies, or desire bodies, the senses, isn't it? The eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body itself, are all about desire. When you see something you, you like, you want it, you desire. See something you don't like, you want to get rid of it. This, is, this realm is, is like this, this is desire realm. The physical body is, is a sexual body. It's a, it has sexual desires part of its nature. That is just the way it is. It, uh, and there's nothing, there's no, uh, no kind of uh, looking down on it and saying it shouldn't be like that because that's the way it is. This realm that we, that we're experiencing through this, through this physical body is, is a desire realm. But we can contemplate, we can reflect on these desires. So this the Buddha encouraged, become an expert on desire, rather than somebody that doesn't have any more desires. And that's another ego, you know, I want to become somebody who doesn't have any desires. It's, it's the same problem, you're never going to get out of it that way by trying to not have any desires, but through understanding, recognizing, and then through that, then you, you have the insight, letting go of desire. Letting go isn't, isn't suppression, isn't annihilation. And it's, to let go means that you can actually uh, see desire for what it is. Well, this, in this awakened state, awakened awareness that the Buddha encouraged, it's, uh, it gives us this, uh, this chance, this, uh, for the gate to the deathless, the, aparuta de sangamatasa taura, the gate to the deathless are open. So in my reflection, that's the gate. There's just that simple act of attention in the present, an internal, imminent act in the present, just a, an attention right now. You just open yourself to this present moment. Embrace the moment. And all that this moment has, the now, and all, and it's pleasurable, unpleasurable, and neutral aspects, qualities. And then to, to encourage this sense of 
No, in terms of, you know, like the rational mind, which we're, most of us are, we're highly conditioned, educated for, for that, then we tend to criticize things a lot. So we, we, we're, it's so easy to pass a judgment or to, to, uh, see, you know, to dwell on what's wrong and what we don't like and, and, uh, and things that aren't very good to just, you know, to be really be, be obsessed with, with them. To think that have got to, it shouldn't be like that. And so there's always this judging, this faculty that, that is always judging things and making comments. So, but the, the heart practice is, isn't, isn't a judgmental one because it, it's willing to. Embrace the devils, the angels, the all together at one moment, not preferring one over the other. And so this awareness allows us to to do this, allows us to to realize this. This is within our potential as human beings, our humanity, the great gift of our humanity is this this reflective mind the ability to 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 open to life and to learn from it so in in the strange uh, ways of monasticism as you go forth into the unknown uh, and with all the kind of restraints and precepts and that that you're taking on uh, and it can sound rather daunting in uh, to the worldly mind uh, to have to live within such prescriptions but it, it does it does simplify you know monasticism is sim- simplification of everything you know on one level it looks complicated you look at all those Vinaya rules and you know, mind boggles. It's so complicated, but actually, they're they're quite simple. They're all very practical things. Uh, and uh, once you, like learning to drive a car, once you actually get in and practice with it, you don't have to think about it. You just do it. You do, like being a, a monk or not is not. And uh, once you really learn how learn how to drive the vehicle and it, it's like you don't have to keep thinking about all the rules and the precepts and things like that because that's more like they, they're quite uh, you know like learning the, the major the, the kind of preliminaries that become just a part of you at first like anything it seems clumsy like learning to drive a car for say Remember, I, I, the first time I ever drove, I turned the car over. <laughs> it was not auspicious. <laughs> the second time, I was driving uh, with my father, and, and I saw a friend, I waved to him, and nearly ran into another car. <laughs> Uh, 
and so forth. It's like learning a language, isn't it? Like foreign languages seem so impossible at first. You can't say even, you know, adult person, and you can't even, you know, you talk like a baby. Uh, you know, you, you know, you want to have an intelligent conversation. All you can do is make these kind of grunts and things, hoping that it comes out right. And it seems impossible. But then, as you keep keep practicing, that it becomes natural. So that you just start thinking, saying things without any any struggle. So it is, the conventions are like that, and monasticism is a, is 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 just like that. It's not once once it's learned, then it's uh, it's very simple. It simplifies everything because you. You're, you're kind of clearing out. You're, you're not. Your life isn't a, isn't just endlessly like with with all the accumulations of worldly life and all the the stuff that that one gets bound up into in the world. You're actually kind of renouncing, not because there's anything wrong with it. We're not we're not condemning the world, but because uh, we're, we're emphasizing what is useful and helpful for a spiritual path and, uh, and making that the kind of the whole emphasis rather than, than all the worldly uh, needs and cares and, and uh, problems that, that we would have if we didn't have the most of it, if we didn't have a convention we wouldn't, probably wouldn't know what to do I wouldn't. I needed to, I needed to, to get into something that, that I had didn't, that I had to surrender to. Learn how to give myself up to something that wasn't my creation or my idea or a lot of things I, I didn't even agree with. In Thailand, you know, some of the rules and the way they did things I didn't even like, didn't, didn't even agree with. But I learned to, uh, but in the, on further reflection, I realized, why not? You know, why make a problem about things that aren't, you know, they were never asking me to do something bad or wrong. <clears throat> So I determined that I wasn't going to make a problem about all that because I wasn't going to endlessly kind of uh, make a problem about monastic life. Uh, rather, this is the way they do it. This is the this is the way things are done here. I'll do it that way. And then I could see my own kind of uh, resistance and opinionatedness around it. And feelings that well, this is unnecessary or that's stupid or we could do it a better way than this and, and endlessly get wound up into into the convention itself where then you're, you're always manipulating the convention and never never uh, get beyond the convention. So remember that becoming a Thunadar is not just to become a good nun and and uh, and uh, get caught up into do all the uh, 
know, and to perfect the life of the of the female samana and make everything perfect. But to, what is present, use that for awareness. And don't 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 make a fuss about the the convention. <clears throat> And it's fair enough when <clears throat> we can, you know, adapt and uh, according to situations or whatnot. But in the long run, what's really important is, is not to, to just try to perfect the convention, but to use it for awareness. That's what it's for. Like to, to go to London, you, you know, you don't need to have the best you know, have a have a Rolls Royce. You take what you get. <laughs> if, the, if you want to get to London, you don't wait for the best. You take what's around. The, like the Buddha referred to it as a raft. Uh, his convention is a raft to get across the the sea. And a raft isn't. It's not like a nuclear submarine or a you know, a, a luxury liner. It's uh, stuff you find on a on a on a shore, isn't on a beach, and driftwood and vines and things like that. You make a raft out of the flotsam and jetsam that 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 gets washed up on the shore. And so, it, it's not going to be. You know, it needn't be a a kind of. A, the best uh, high-tech raft. The point is to take what's around so you can get across. So I've just uh, contemplated that, you know, rather than than uh, uh, because I've seen so many people always, you know, thinking that this this raft isn't, you know, isn't a very good raft, and so they they go around looking for better ones. Uh, where uh, I felt, well, this this raft is is the one I have. This is where I, this is the one I'm using, and uh, it, so it doesn't mean that I, you know, that it, that I think it's the best raft, but it's the one I'm on, <laughs> and it's the one that's taken me across. So I offer this as a. Reflection.